Good morning, Applewood family. Well, that was pretty unenthusiastic. Hello, Greg. Thank you. (laughs) You know, you've probably heard those jokes over the years. People talk about there being sections in heaven. You know, the Covenanters will be in one section and the Presbyterians in another and the Baptists in another. You know, I don't think that's right. But I do think there's going to be two sections. (laughs) Why are you snickering? (laughs) There There will be those who worship with abandon and there'll be those who need worship class. And yeah, class, probably about 10,000 years worth at, at which point after 10,000 years of being in, I've, it's, I kind of picture, you know, there'll be millions of us there in that class because we just never shook our inhibitions. And, but we'll think that we're, we're all alone. You know, we won't see the millions around us. I mean, because how would you lose your inhibitions unless you thought you were by yourself in the presence of God? And then at some point, it will have worked and we'll find ourselves in the presence of God with all the others. That's a stupid theory, but anyway. It's in. It's, it's the next chapter that hasn't been written yet. <laughs> Heard from the Ecuador team. Perhaps some of you have as well. They are, uh, they are alive. Um, Yes, with 18 to 20 high school students, that is praise. And all of their luggage got there. Every piece of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they were super thankful for that. Um, They have uh, been enjoying their introduction to Ecuador. Those who are new, uh, meeting some of the folks and doing ministry with them that they will spend the week with. And uh, Sharon's comment at the end of her last email was, and God is already at work changing hearts. So, very cool. I was glad to hear that. Continue to pray for Chad and Sarah, Sharon, and uh, the rest of the team. You might know the name Nabil Qureshi, some of you. Uh, He was an associate uh, minister in uh, Ravi Zacharias' ministry for a number of years. He He died about a year and a half ago from cancer. He was 34 years old. But he liked to tell the story of a conversation that he had with a very resolute Muslim friend. He himself was converted uh, from Islam to to Christ. And this friend's name was Sahar. She was attracted to certain things about Christianity, but couldn't accept the idea of God becoming a human being. And so she asked Nabil one time, how can you believe Jesus is God if he was born through the birth canal of a woman and that he had to use the bathroom? Aren't these things beneath God? Now, if you know anything about Nabil, you know that he had several master's degrees He was working on a PhD, really bright individual. But listen to this amazingly simple answer. Sahar, he said, let's say that you are on your way to a very important ceremony and are dressed in your finest clothes. You are about to arrive just on time, but suddenly you you see your daughter drowning in a pool of mud. What would you do? Would you let her drown 
and arrive looking dignified? Or would you rescue her, but arrive at the ceremony covered in mud? Her response was very matter of fact. Well, of course, I would jump in. I would jump in the mud and I would save her. Then Nabil asked her, well, what if there were some others with you? Would you perhaps send someone else to save her or would you still save her yourself? She responded, if she's my daughter, how could I send anyone else? They would not care for her like I do. I would go myself, definitely. Nabil then pointed out to her, well, that is what God did. As a loving heavenly father, he put aside his dignity and his majesty to save us. And, says Nabil, it was that truth that won her heart. The message of God's selfless love had overpowered her, and she could no longer remain a Muslim. She trusted Christ as her Savior. Today is the start of Holy Week, as Phil reminded us. It's also referred to in some church circles as Passion Week. I love that term because it describes the mission of Jesus the God-man, without a doubt, the eternal son taking on humanity is something that really stretches us. It's, it's a radical belief in the Christian faith. But I think that even more radical than that is the purpose behind Jesus taking on humanity. Our God loved lost and broken people so much that he was willing to send his son into the world to be a substitute sacrifice for us. Jesus took our sin upon himself and suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we might have eternal life. That is what Holy Week is about. That is what Passion Week is all about. Yesterday, those of us who were at the men's breakfast spent some time reflecting on the suffering servant text in in Isaiah 53. Oh, it was so, so much fun just to to read through that and pray through that and then then reflect and and, and talk about the different pieces of it together. It it turned into just a prayerful time of, of worship around that text several hundred years, at least 500 to 600 years before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah describes the plan of God in that text, saying of the suffering servant, the Messiah, Jesus, it was the Lord's will to crush him, to lay upon the Son the sins of us all. I'm not even sure that Isaiah knew who he was talking about at that point? Probably not. It was the Lord's will to crush him, to lay upon the Son the sins of us all. And Isaiah writes, For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Wow. And mysteriously, and and, and it is, it is a mystery, suffering Suffering was necessary 
for Jesus, for the God-man, for the eternal Son in the flesh. Suffering was necessary. The writer of Hebrews tells us it was important for the Son to learn obedience in his humanity. God had never been human before. He was learning what it was like to live in human flesh. And the writer of Hebrews says he learned obedience through his suffering. And we know this, that he was tempted in every way that we are, but he didn't sin. He did not yield to temptation. Remember, it's not the temptation that's the sin. Temptation is an effort by Satan, assisted by our fallen nature, to take a situation that is intended by God to test our hearts and get us to a place where we doubt God. To forget that we were made for Him. And that satisfaction for the deepest longing of the human soul, I don't care whose body that soul resides in, where they live and what they do, the deepest longing of that soul cannot be satisfied apart from relationship with God. Because that's what we were made for. Humanity was made to be in relationship with God. And so we have been for a couple of Sundays uh, with Jesus in the wilderness, looking closely at the first of, of, the, two, of the three, first two of the three temptations that, that Satan put to Jesus. The, the test of his human heart was an opportunity for the enemy to bring a temptation. Now, there's a lesson in that. We, we have to remember that the difficulties, the challenges, the hardships in life, they don't surprise our God, but he uses them, allows them to, to give us opportunity to reflect. What does my heart feel in this situation? What is important to me? Who do I love? Today is Palm Sunday, the day on the historic church calendar that we, we celebrate the entry of King Jesus into Jerusalem where he would, he would set his focus in those last days of, of his life on completing that mission for which he had come to earth. And so we read together that account from Matthew. I, I like Matthew's record because he is the one of the gospel writers that ends with the whole city was stirred up. The whole city was stirred up. And of course, the question, who is this? Legitimate question that the people in Jerusalem were asking. Because there was much about that processional that that was king-like, that had the look and, and sound and feel of, of royalty. And it was, it was promising to a people who had been looking for centuries for a Messiah, a Redeemer, a new king. It had been hundreds of years since the people of Israel, people living in Jerusalem, had had a king. And they were living under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so there they were in Jerusalem, the ancient city of the kings. 
There was a large crowd outside surrounding Jesus. And what are they shouting? Hosanna to the son of David. That's Israel's greatest king. The son of David? Woof, that's hopeful. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And, and the cloaks and the branches that were spread on the ground before Jesus, those were, those were customary actions of, of humility and honor that would have been done towards a person of importance, of, of royalty. So wait, who is this, they ask? He's riding a donkey. What's that about? A humble beast of, of burden. They would have preferred to see him on a stallion or a war horse. More appropriate for someone of importance and, and royalty. Who is this, they asked? He looks a lot like the man we've seen in the past who, who's disliked by the religious leaders. Yeah, great teacher. Did some amazing miracles, but, but the religious leaders, they're convinced that he is a charlatan. He's always spending time with, with the down and out, the sinful people. Certainly no respectable leader would mix it up with those folks. By the way, what about his closest associates? Have you seen those losers? Ragtag bunch. <clears throat> Who is this man? That's such a great question. I think this setting brings to life for us the, the power what I think may have been an incredible lure of the third temptation that Jesus faced in the desert just a few years earlier before this scene, this entry into Jerusalem. And I would guess, as I've said to you before, I don't think it's the only time that Jesus was tempted in the ways that we see him tempted in the wilderness. I believe that he faced those temptations many times through his ministry years. So we're going to put up our text this morning from Matthew 4. We're going to read it one last time together. And, and remember, when we started out, the context is important. The previous chapter, the end of chapter 3 of Matthew, Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. Matthew tells us that the heaven opened... The Spirit of God descends in the form of a dove landing on Jesus. And then there's a voice from heaven that says, This is my Son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That is a statement of authority. That is a statement of approval. Let's read our text because this is what comes next. Together, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city 
and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and angels came and attended him. My brothers and my sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Wow. I think it might have been the most alluring temptation of all. Satan takes Jesus to to a high mountain, shows him the kingdoms of the world and their splendor, their the, the beauty. And then next, we read this. Karen, can we put that next slide up? All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. So, I want you to talk with your neighbor for a couple minutes. What is it that Satan is offering to Jesus? What is it that Satan is offering to Jesus? See what your neighbor thinks. All right. Ready to share a little bit? What do you think? What is it that Satan is offering? Don, start us off. Oh, you might be. (laughs) Okay. Aha. Okay. Okay. I can live with that. I can live with that. No, that's good. That's good. Doug, add to it. Okay, good, good. Greg, you had a hand up. Offering Jesus what? Death. Okay, okay. You know, there are some commentators that that think that that's what was behind the question uh, or the offer in an earthly kingdom. Cindy, chime in. Probably, but that's all right. Join the rest of us. Okay, okay. Yeah, and, and, you know, there's, there's reason to believe that, you know. Scripture doesn't just out and out make a comment like that, but we often think, you know, that, that Satan has been given permission to wreak havoc on planet Earth. And, and indeed he does. Job gives us reason to, to, to believe that. Not apart from the sovereign rule of, of God, but yeah, it's a reality. Karen, what's the end result of that? The death. Yeah. Okay, okay. Good stuff, you guys. Dixie, you want to add to it? But it was worth a shot because he's 100% human. 100% human. And that, if you recall, that's been the lesson in this study for us, is that these temptations that the enemy brought to Jesus are temptations that are common to our hearts. Jesus didn't sin. Well, we're not there, but we, through the indwelling Spirit of God who indwelled Jesus, the God-man in the desert, 
gave him the capacity to not respond and to sin. And so there's, there's value in, in that for us to wrestle. Allie, you wanted to say something. Show of hands, all of us who struggle. No, don't show hands. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We don't want to go there. You remember the crowning exaltation of Jesus that Paul wrote about in Philippians 2? Let me, let me remind you, at the very end of that, that amazing passage that we've spent time together in, Paul wrote this, and being about Jesus and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. You read that again. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross, therefore. That's the next word. Therefore. Purpose statement that is tied to the previous statement. Therefore, because of Jesus' obedience and his willing death on the cross, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I think that one of the possibilities here is that the enemy and someone said that was offering Jesus a shortcut to that end. An out, if you will. It is a, it is a seduction to instant power and authority apart from the cross. And that last line that Paul writes to the Philippians, <clears throat> to the glory of God the Father, we can be sure that Satan is never interested in the glory of God the Father. He, he despises the glory of God. If Jesus will just bow down and worship him, it could all be with no suffering, no pain. The language that Matthew uses to describe that action, it's fascinating. In ancient literature, it's commonly used <clears throat> of a lower class person to a higher class person. Again, that begs Dixie's question, what was he thinking? often used of, of a lowly person bowing to someone in a higher position of authority. They are also in some literature used of a lower class person who kisses the hand or the ring of royalty. And there are some places in the ancient literature where this wording is used, listen to this, to describe a dog licking the hand of its master. Can you see why Jesus reacted the way that he did? He was not about to be Satan's dog. He was not willing, <clears throat> not even for a moment, to give Satan what only he knew his father deserved. Worship. No one 
No one came before the Father in the life of Jesus. Now, here's what's really fascinating to me, is when you look at the structure of the language, Satan is not suggesting that this would be a full-term, full-time deal. He's just interested in the eternal son bowing his knee for a moment. He's not asking for a mile. He'll just take an inch. Fascinating. Jesus was not willing to give an inch. He knew the plan of God. He knew the plan of his father, though it included terrible suffering. At that point, it was three years away, approximately. But he knew. The plan of God included terrible suffering, and it was the way, not just a way, not just some way. It was the way that would bring life to lost people. It was the way that would bring lost people back into relationship with God by their very nature whom they had rebelled against. There could be no life for those who were lost and broken without his suffering. That is, my friends, that is the way of the kingdom of God here on this earth. Jesus knew that the plan of God would bring life because through suffering, God was going to bring redemption. Suffering and God's redemption were rooted in the character of who God is. God redeems suffering. God redeems suffering and brings good from painful circumstances. The other choice was to follow the plan of Satan. Well, that's rooted in the character of Satan. A character that can be disguised in light, but is ultimately all about rebellion which leads to destruction and eternal loss. Satan redeems nothing. Those of you who said Satan was offering Jesus nothing, absolutely right at the end of the day. Offered him nothing. Satan can redeem nothing. He has no power to redeem. What is bad only gets worse. Redemption flows from the character of God that what is bad can become beautiful and good in the hands of the Redeemer. We have said many times in the study that testing in life, times that are hard and painful, those are times for our hearts. They're there, as I said a moment ago, so that that we will examine our heart for for what it is, for, for who it is, that we love the most? Who do we choose to follow? To whom do we bow? To whom do we live and offer our lives? That is what worship is about. Worship starts with an understanding of who we are and who God is and being always crystal clear about the relationship between creator and created. Creator gives life, 
created dependent upon creator for that life. Anything less than intimacy with that creator through his son Jesus results in death. Satan's offer was that Jesus should consider giving his heart to something else and achieve the same end without the pain. But Jesus knew clearly who it was that was tempting him, the one that John tells us Jesus referred to as the father of lies. He said to those who were listening, there is no truth in him, no truth in Satan. So what that brings us to is this, Satan was lying to Jesus. He would not follow through on his offer. We don't even know that he could have followed through on his offer. The father of lies speaks lies. He was speaking lies into Jesus' life, and he speaks lies into our lives. Often. Any time that we find ourselves beginning to to bow our knee to something or to someone, to give our heart's affection to something or to someone, is to listen to the lie of the enemy that there is another way to have relationship with God and live the abundant life that he has called us to. He wants us to believe that he can offer us something good and and. And there are times when it may seem good and, and feel good and, and even be right for a short time. But in the end, because it comes from one who cannot give life, in the end, it only leads to pain and loss. Because that's all that Satan has to offer to anyone, is pain and loss and destruction. And I think this is where the lesson is for us. Jesus was so clear In his call to discipleship, when we read through the Gospels, he made no bones about the challenge of what it meant to follow him. To be his follower required self-sacrifice, denial of self, taking up our cross. Those two things are the requirements necessary to be his follower. And that has never changed. But Satan will take every opportunity possible to make us think that there is another way to achieving the end result, intimacy with God, a life of worship and adoration. There isn't. There is not another way. It's a lie. It's always a lie because that's all that Satan does. There is no truth in him, said Jesus. And so the path that leads to abundant life, which is what Jesus came to give us, always goes through the cross. That translates to us as a path of suffering and hardship in this life. Some of you know great suffering and hardship in this life. And praise the Lord, you have not bowed your knee to another way. As much as you and I might not like it, God 
in his good character, has chosen to redeem what is broken. He has chosen to bring good from what can be so hard. We were reminded last week that that God opposes the proud and he gives grace to the humble. Did you know that suffering produces humility? If we see it as a test of the heart, if when difficulties confront us, and in the midst of those difficulties, we we hear this voice in our lives that is encouraging us to, to rise up to something better. You deserve better. Seeds of doubt that surely God is not in this. It's so important that we recognize that as the moment that we make a decision. Either I choose to believe that that God is redeeming the difficult circumstances in my life or that maybe God has forgotten. Maybe God doesn't love me as much as I want to believe. And so we fast forward three years to Jerusalem and Palm Sunday and back to the confusion of those in the city. Gosh, this processional seems very king-like, but but some of the pieces just don't fit. They just don't make sense. And the truth is, my brothers and sisters, from a human perspective, Jesus lacked greatness and power and presentation. Man, you have the opportunity to go back and read Isaiah 53 sometime today. It's, It's so powerful. The description of the Messiah that was nothing beautiful, or special. From a human perspective, Jesus lacked all that was important, but from a perspective of God, from God who was about to offer His Son as a sacrifice for the sin of the world in just a few days, Jesus lacked nothing because He was completely surrendered to the will and the plan of His Father. Jesus worshipped his Father. Total surrender. The irony is, is that the humble, unimpressive suffering and dying Jesus at the end of that week just happened to be the creator of the world. And, And would, in fact, be exalted by God and the one before whom every knee would bow. Every knee in heaven and on earth. From the world's perspective, the kingdom of God and its values just aren't very attractive. Because it's a place where the strong are weak and the weak are strong. And the proud are opposed and the humble are exalted. And less is more. To gain more is to lose one's soul. The kingdom values don't make sense. To worship God, to be a participant in that kingdom, is to choose a difficult path that always, always leads 
to life. To worship anything or anyone else is to choose a path that certainly may be more attractive, will certainly be much easier at times, but ultimately it does not bring life. It doesn't bring life now. It doesn't bring life in the future. It cannot. It is a lie from the enemy who has no power to give life, only destruction. And remember, Satan wasn't looking for a whole life worship. He was looking for just a momentary bowing of the knee, a momentary acknowledgement of his perceived position and power. And Jesus said, away from me. I don't give you an inch, Satan, not an inch. Palm Sunday, celebration of the king who modeled for us what it meant to live in complete surrender to the will of God. It is is worship that is worth doing. It is worship that is worth giving our lives to because in the end, it gains us everything. So praise team, come on up and and prepare to lead us. Just one or two final thoughts as they come. As I've said, worship is about what or to whom we give our lives. Honestly, I think wholehearted worship of God is an intentional day Today, commitment. You ever wonder about what it was that Jesus was doing all those times that we see him disappear to a quiet place in the Gospels? He was with his Father. He was worshiping. I think he was expressing, quite frankly, dependence upon his Father because he knew that the human flesh in which he dwelled was frail and vulnerable and susceptible to weakness, to compromise. So worship of God is an intentional day-to-day commitment. First thing in the morning voice to God that may say something like this, Oh God, I do love you. And I want to live solely for your glory today. But there will be things that call to me, things that call to my flesh, things that call to my pride, things that call to my heart that life could be easier, that perhaps you have forgotten me, tempting me to think that there is more or that I can have both you and self-exaltation. But, oh God, I know that I cannot. And so at this moment, help me to know it, when the tempter comes so that I will have the will and the strength to pass the test, to tell him away from me. May the Spirit who indwelled Jesus the same Spirit who indwells us, God's people, amaze us with the beauty and the wonder 
and the character of our God who loved us so much that he gave his son as a sacrifice to save us from ourselves. Hallelujah. And may that truth grow in us a longing to worship him and him alone. Amen.